So, you're looking for something different. Well, you found it. Right here with expat entrepreneur Jewel Daniels. Pushing boundaries on the solopreneur journey, where we're all about learning to build beyond just business. Let's get it. Hey, it's so nice to be with you today on the solopreneur journey. I'm Jewel Daniels, head of Daniels Communications Global, a leadership development firm that specializes in executive coaching, cultural competency, and of course, developing the best in you. I'm also the author of four books with my latest being Three Sides of Every Crisis. It's a really important book that talks about how do you find opportunities in the midst of a crisis by learning to adjust your perspective and to pivot. And that's what we're going to dive into here on the Solopreneur Journey. This show is all about reaching out to those who are single, shingle, one-person enterprises that are starting at the starting line, but are running the race towards something spectacular. That's why we say it's all about building beyond just business, because building a business, being a solopreneur, transitioning to an entrepreneur, and becoming a business owner means that you have to practice everything from being a good leader, to understanding how to collaborate, price your goods and services, and even practicing excellent emotional intelligence. So that sounds like a lot. It's going to be so good. So this is what we do. We invite entrepreneurs to come on our show to share their stories, to talk about how they're getting through this crisis. And then we also invite those who are doing exceptionally well, who have built their businesses from being a solopreneur to something extraordinary that can benefit you. So come on, take the ride. Here we go. So I wanted to spend some time talking about your journey. Okay. Uh, I think that's... You know, on the Solopreneur podcast, and hope you get a chance, uh, the Solopreneur Journey podcast, the whole purpose is to provide people with tips, testimonies, and triumphs of what it looks like in the beginning, and by your example, what it looks like in this different season. Um, I'm sure your business has been through peaks and valleys. So let me start by asking you, where did you begin and how did you begin as a business owner? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I actually started my business in Virginia in the Hampton Roads area, Norfolk, Portsmouth, Virginia Beach area. And that was back in 1990. Uh, I actually was traveling from uh, Portsmouth, Virginia to Columbia, South Carolina to start my first Black Pages. And so at that time I had a partner who was in uh, Richmond. So I would either uh, catch the train or the bus or drive to Richmond. And then we would drive to Columbia, which was six hours. And we would get there at 6 a.m. in the morning. We leave at 12 midnight, get there at six, start our meetings at eight and leave at 12. We did that for about two years. And (laughs) yeah, you know, I was really, really focused and uh, really wanted to do uh, this business because I I was working for somebody for at least three years before I started my business who published the Black Pages in Hampton Roads and I said man I can do this and uh, you know I said you know if you wanted to do it there you got to find a location where there's not a publication and so Columbia was just my hometown mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I did and so we did that for two years we slept in the parking lot you know. Got in the office at eight, started a meeting, you know, hired salespeople. And then we started to expand in different markets. And we picked up actually two other partners who were traveling from the Greenville Spartanburg area in South Carolina. We joined forces. And then the next year, his partner left. And then the year after that, my partner left. So it was uh, Darren Thomas and I, we were together for God, we had a long ride for like 20 some odd years. So that's that's how the journey began. But actually, uh, had I not started with uh, the black newspaper in Norfolk, which is a journal and guide, that's really opened my eyes to uh, black owned businesses and black professionals. And I was so intrigued by all the history 
behind that newspaper at that time was the third oldest black weekly in the United States. And I said, man, this is really exciting. And, uh, you know, one thing led to the next. Yeah. So your, your history of where you started and why I asked that question, because it also has special meaning for me. I'm a Hampton University graduate. Oh, <laughs> I went to Virginia Union. <laughs> <laughs> I know you did. I know you did. Yeah, yes, you were, you were my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, love, love Hampton. Recruited a lot of students as interns. Man, I'll tell you, some of the best students, interns I had from Hampton University. Hands down, oh. I, tell, I tell that story. Even I went to Virginia and I tell that story all the time. Hands down, Hampton students came in prepared, ready to go. You know, the seasons between us are very similar yeah. because that was yeah. what the environment was like at that time. So for you to start a business in 1990 that focused right. on the black community, uh, why was that important for you? Um, for a number of different reasons. Um, I, I think as, as, as a, as a uh, person, Growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, you saw the differences in uh, resources and the differences in, you know, money in terms of black people and white people. I mean, you're in the South, uh, you know, you're dealing with that as a child, single parent mother, you know, and you're trying to go through this process and I used to tell my mother before she passed, I said, man, why in the world did you leave, you stole the house and you moved to this community that we didn't know anything about. And she was just trying to do better for not yeah. just for herself, but also her children. And so uh, I, I kind of carried that uh, along and, and, you know, I saw people that uh, like mentors, coaches, because I played basketball. And uh, that just kind of carried that with me. I mean, that was just part of uh, that that sort of village as a kid growing up in a village of people who were just, you know, you could be a domestic worker or a contractor or a doctor. We all kind of lived in the same community, right? So, right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was the upbringing, and so I, I sort of took that with me throughout the throughout my journey of uh, becoming an entrepreneur and, 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 and really wanted to focus on that because, you know, we have so much, um, we have so much intelligence, we have so much, we're industrious people, we're creative people, we're, you know, we're, you know, we can do anything, but, but, but sometimes these uh, systematic and, and, and policies that exclude us from mainstream, sort of the mainstream economy, keeps us out of the picture and causes all of these fragmented uh, issues that we deal with. So I wanted to make sure that, that you know my focus was on on black people. You know, it wasn't about you know what I could do for somebody. What do I need to do to uh, create this sort of ecosystem for black businesses and continue to just meet people? That I mean, that was part of it, you know, even with the journal guy, I just wanted to meet black professionals and black entrepreneurs. That's, that's what I told the publisher when I came, looked, you know, came to her and said, I really want to work for you. And all I want to do is meet these people. She said, so she just shook her head and said, really? You were hired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how it went. But uh, I always kept that with me and, and, um, uh, still do to this day. That's that's beautiful. Where do you think that came from? That that desire um, to to connect with the black community in that kind of a way. I, I think part of it came from the, the family because you know my mother uh, was the oldest of fourteen kids, children. You know, granddad, grand. You know, always saw my granddad, grand, grandmother. Fourteen kids. She was the oldest child. But I saw all those kids, all her sisters and brothers, they would come to Columbia from the country, work and go back home. And that was everybody. I was like, wow, this is like a, a underground railroad. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the country, come stay with us. 
work, get a job in the summer, and then go back home. You know, you, and you saw that kind of stuff. And right. uh, so that, that, you know, all that stuff comes back. It sticks with me. Uh, even though my fa father was in the military, so he he was an Army guy. He had gotten, uh, you know, married again, so on and so forth. So, but, but you know, just that environment and then moving from one neighborhood to the next that was integrated, and just seeing a whole different side of black people that I had not seen before in a village kind of environment. That was a totally different uh, experience for me. We were talking about why this was important and you said that you wanted to meet black people, just different black people from different walks of life. And is that because you wanted to see reflections of you in their stories or um, you, you, know, you know, growing up in an all-black community as a, as a child, you know, kid, you know, we grew up in a community where you had entrepreneurs. I mean, we didn't call them entrepreneurs, but they were business people. They were contractors. It could be a domestic worker. In fact, the guy that lived right across the street, he was a contractor. That's what he did. He, you know, he picked up odd, you know, odds and kind of odd jobs, and that's what he did. And then somebody owned a record shop downtown. We would go there and hang out and that kind of stuff. So it was always somebody doing something. And and then my grandfather and grandma, they were they were hardworking people. I mean, I, he didn't go to a job. He we go to the you know down what we call the country. You know, he was in the field. I mean, he had his sons up early in the morning. He went out and did the work and came back. That's what I saw. I didn't see anybody punching the clock. You know what I mean? So that's beautiful. Uh, all that stuff kind of sticks with you when you're, when you're coming up. And then I started working at 14 years old um, in high school. I was working in a restaurant four years. So I always had that sort of entrepreneurial spirit. Didn't know what it was, but you know, I I said I can do this myself. And so. Uh, it's so just it sounds stuck. as if it was already a part of your DNA. Yeah, And absolutely. it just rose yeah. to the surface when you got to a season in your life where, where it sparked this interest. So why exactly. the Black Pages? Black Pages is interesting. I, I You know, I kind of did, uh, after college, did you know work for a utility company, and I didn't like that. Got into sales, uh, moved from Richmond and went to Charlotte, started got in retail sales, which I loved, and uh, again, bounced around for a few and went back to Virginia. And that's when I started working with uh, the Journal and Guide. I was selling lawn care, by the way, before I started working with the Journal and Guide. Wow. Which was good because the whole thing about selling, oh man, it was just perfect. And so, got there, that was a different kind of sales with uh, advertising. And then there was somebody in Richmond who was publishing in the Richmond Black Pages, and they, they were, the person, he was traveling to Hampton Roads, and he needed somebody in the market to manage the market. And he, so the person, you know, somebody worked at the, the uh, newspaper said, this guy keeps calling you for some reason. He wants you to, to, to look at what he's doing. I was like, I'm happy. I don't feel like dealing with this. And then one evening, um, he invited me to a networking function, reception. And I saw his sales team. And I said to him, they not, they, those folk are not going to work. <laughs> That's what you told him? I said, I said they're, they're, he said, what do you mean? I said, they just don't look like they're ready to, to do what you need to get done. I told him that. It was like three of them, and they, and none of them stuck around. So uh, I eventually became the sales manager in that in that Norfolk, Virginia Beach market for him, and did that for three years. And then when I started my own business, so Black Pages was something I obviously I was meant to do and destined to do, and that's what I like to do. I mean, it's just not something I'm just. Uh, doing because it's you know it's, it's it's some glorified thing to do. It's in my DNA. 
I mean, I focus on black businesses and African-American people. Somebody told me when one of my sisters said, man, you love black people. I said, yes, I do. <laughs> well, and, it, and it's funny you say that because I have the same level of passion. Yeah. My, my daughter growing up, it's funny, you don't realize what you're doing and its impact, should I say. Yeah. Exactly. It reflects back on right. you. And so when she got older and people would say to her, how do you know so much about black history? And my mother, my daughter said, really? I feel yeah. like I grew up with Betty Shabazz and the Black Panther Party and all those folks with me. <laughs> right. That's right. Because exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, That's you know, the era we grew up in was, I mean, we were dealing with stuff, you know, you know coming through South Carolina. I mean, it was certainly a divide in races. Uh, you know, and, 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 and we weren't trying to be a part of somebody else's community, quite frankly. And, and so when my mother decided to move into a sort of integrated community, we were like, that was culture shock for us. It was like, wow, we over here. And then the school we went to was, you know, mixed. Uh, eventually it was like 90% uh, black when I graduated from there, but it was like, this is, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable, but you had to adapt to the environment. And so, that's a very interesting, it's interesting that you share that. Uh, I didn't realize how much our past were, were similar. Do you feel like those experience help add value to your ability to grow your business and to make your way in the Black community and now work? With municipalities and other corporations, the way you do. Yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, you have a little bit of an edge um, when you're talking to municipalities and foundations and these, you know, these big, large corporations who uh, certainly do not understand uh, true diversity and inclusion as, you know, these coin phrases. You know, diversity, inclusion. What does that really mean? And, and and so you're really trying to educate them uh, on what that really means. And so when you're, when I'm talking to some of my clients who are trying to uh, enter a marketplace, a market like North Carolina, and they're trying to meet people, you know, people want to know, you know, who's in leadership. Uh, particularly when they're talking to me, are they, are they Black-owned? Is this a Black-owned company? They want to be clear about some things. And so those experiences throughout my lifetime have helped me sort of adjust and adapt, even though they may know I have a little edge. Um, as I told someone the other day, I just recently was uh, um, put on this foundation called NC Idea. And I just was very straightforward with the president. I'm like, look, you know, what's in it for me? I mean, you really want me to come in here, give all my expertise on a volunteer basis. I mean, what's in it for all of the people sitting around the Zoom call? And I, I mean, I'm serious about that because I think we're at a point in time now, we, we've got to stop doing that, allowing people to use us for their own benefit and, and give what we you know, work for back to us in a different kind of way and get a rewarded for it. I'm not doing that anymore. And, and so uh, you have to be really straightforward. So those experiences helped me throughout my lifetime and they still continue to, I still continue to learn and grow and young and learn from young people uh, in That's terms of their experience. Well. Yeah, absolutely. It's I very important. Young kids now. So, Help me bridge the gap. So you start with Black Pages, and then you grow the business beyond Black Pages. Right. Um, for solopreneurs, when you are at the beginning of this journey and just trying to figure out how do you price your goods, how do you hire the right people, um, how do you go into a, mar to a market, what were the two things you feel like you did right in the beginning that allowed you to pivot from just being a solo person, a one person, building this business to being able to grow it, to have a staff? Uh, staying focused. Um, 
you know, having a plan and a strategy just to stay focused on what the results are going to be from uh, this business. And I, I mean, I was almost wearing blinders uh, throughout the, the process of, of growing the company because all we wanted to do was go into a market, expand, identify community-based leaders, business owners, and publish the black pages. That was it. And create this this ecosystem. And then we began to do, you know, trade shows with Black Expos, and that was a whole nother piece. And then during that time, um, and you asked about how do we seek and identify, you know, one thing about when you're doing something good, you can attract a lot of pieces to the puzzle. And so people were, yeah, people were excited about it. And we were really ahead of our time back then. I mean, the Black page was like, what? You, you're going to do what? The Black Pages? Oh, man, you can yeah. get anything in this town. You do that. Because it was, you know, we were still dealing with those kinds of issues, you know, in terms yeah. of race. And people were I remember being excited, waiting for yeah. the new additions to, to come out. Because I think you were in, was it 10 markets? How many markets did you actually cover? We were in 12 markets, 12 cities. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we're in 12 cities. And I, and I, I mean, my car had like, several hundred thousand miles <laughs> <laughs> driving from one end to the from Virginia to Florida. That we covered Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And I was like, man. And I, you know, it was like no fear. No fear yeah. in, you know, traveling the mountains in Roanoke, Lynchburg, and driving all the way down to, you know, Charlotte or, you know, Augusta, Georgia, where we had to go. We just know that that was part of the plan and we wanted to make impact because, as you know, the largest percentage of the black population lived in the southeast. That's right. And so, you know, we're spending, uh, you know, 55 percent of our population in the United States. And then we've got this significant, uh, you know, buying power collectively. You know, we could, you know, my, my mind was like, man, we could really do some major things here. And then, uh, you know, we decided to do this dissolution, me and my partner. Uh, and so the company from where it was, you know, split, which was probably one of my bright ideas. I, I had something different in mind. <laughs> you know, when the attorneys get involved, there's a whole nother story. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's a whole nother story. But, yes. you know, I'm still carrying that same uh, drive and the same vision with me now to create that ecosystem and very close. That's the key. I think that's, that's very critical for entrepreneurs to understand two things that you said, that focus, that drive, that has continued to carry you to a place where your business continues to grow. The other thing that was very interesting for me you talked about being able to sell, and, and in this case, you right. loved selling. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about how critical that is for a person wanting to start a business, because very often entrepreneurs struggle with that. They have a great yeah. idea, a great concept, and just can't sell it, afraid to sell it, the fearlessness you talked about. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, they can't sell it. They can't market it. And that's part of the challenge when you can't get in certain doors because I mean, the, the highest paid people in the world are in sales. And so <clears throat> when I started in selling, I started in retail sales and I can remember uh, perfectly the, uh, my supervisor, my sales were like completely down that week. And she brought me in the room and she said, look, we, you know, if you don't get your numbers up, we can't keep you. And I mean, for the next several months, I was just blowing the sales out of the wall. And I mean, I was, everybody that came through that door, man, I was ringing them up. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I loved it. And, and, and so, and also uh, in selling uh, the black page when I worked for David Walton initially, I was on straight commission. I wasn't getting a salary. I was getting paid commission. And That'll so, drive you. Yeah, if you, if you don't sell anything, you don't make anything. 
you don't eat, you can't pay the bills. So you got to be driven to get out there and meet people and, you know, sign them up and all that kind of good stuff. And, and that's the other part of raising capital, too, in businesses, because sometimes we don't have the ability to raise capital. And that's part of it. You know, you've got to be able to convince people that your business is worth me investing, kind of just purchasing advertisement in. And if you can't convince them to do that. It's going to be pretty difficult to do. Yeah. Even with the new technology stuff with crowdfunding and all that kind of stuff, that all sounds great, but you still have to sell people. They want to be sold. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's a very important piece. I think about something as simple. You remember long ago, we had the dial phone. You stuck your finger in a hole and you did, 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 did. Yeah, And then yeah, we yeah. were excited when we got the push button phone. Right. And that worked. None of us knew that we needed nor wanted a mobile phone until it was sold to us in a way that it became exactly important and valuable. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, now in the world of you know, and it's, it's so many pieces as you as you think about the way the economy works and why we have an advanced as, as African-American businesses, you know, there's been systematic, you know, processes put in place that, you know, really haven't allowed a lot of companies to grow uh, to the level where you can compete globally. So we've got some things we've got to do there in terms of training young folk who want to really understand the market itself and the economy, what drives the economy, how money works, I mean, all those things have to be, you know, you've got to start real early to start learning that stuff. And I, you know, had somebody put me in some training program, you know, 10, 15 years before I got into business and sales, man, I'll, I'll be sitting on Wall Street right now. Right now. That, that's very true. That access to the information is so important. Oh my God. So you, you, built the Black Pages, and you started doing the Black Expo. How did that experience of building an expo change things for you? And what, what was the driver for doing the expo? Uh, one of the drivers was that my partner really didn't want to expand in any more markets. Okay. And you know I kept trying to <laughs> sort of force him, look, man, we need to keep expanding. Because that was really my my concept and my idea to expand the business in all these markets, and he was like, you know, we can't, we have enough. I, I don't feel like doing any more traveling, and so I came up with this crazy thing about doing the Black Expo. He was like, how is that going to work? <laughs> Not so crazy, huh? Yeah. So I did it in our smallest market, which was Wilmington at that time, and. Quite frankly, there was in Wilmington on the coast, there was an ice storm the first year. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we had a few people show, show up doing an ice storm. Talk about a tough beginning. The following year, hurricane. Yeah. Okay. Are you joking? I'm not joking. Hurricane, following year. We still did it. People came in, blah, blah, blah. So I said, look, we're going to do this in Columbia. And I tell you, the first year we did it in Columbia, we probably had six, seven, eight, nine thousand people walk through that door. And so we began to expand in those other markets with the, with the expo. And we gave a chance for those folks who were advertising with us to have, you know, booths and uh, be able to meet people coming through the door, sell their products one on one. Uh, these major companies could sponsor events and so on and so right. forth. So it was, a, it was a very good experience, but we did it because I wanted to expand the business. I did not want to, you know, stay in those 12 cities. I wanted more and more and more. And so that's why we did those expos. That's a great story because it also speaks to the tenacity of staying the course and how you talked about being focused. So the right. first time, the second time you have these two major <laughs> natural disasters. Really? <laughs> what made you decide to, to just lean in instead of say, maybe this is a sign we need to 
pull away? That's just me. I mean, I'm, once I, I focus on something, I, I stick with it. I don't, I, don't, I don't change gears. You know, win or lose, I'm, I'm, you know, that's just awesome. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just me. That's how I work. If I don't like something, I will stop. I'll say, I don't feel like dealing with this anymore. And I'll right. move on because I think I've exhausted everything I could do. But most of the time, I'm beeline focused. And I'm committed to it. Yeah. And you know, when you were launching uh, Bug Expo, right? You know, as an extension of starting the the Black Pages, that was also the season in which the Selig Center at the University of Georgia started doing this studies on minority buying power. And I really? remember working with yes, and I remember working with Jeff Humphreys and them talking about where African American buying power was going wow. to be at one point one trillion dollars. You know, those studies started to you know, come out and grow. And I think you, it was, it was the, the perfect storm. It was the perfect timing in that black people knew were starting to be educated about the power the dollar had. Right. And you created an environment where we could start turning that dollar over more than once in our community, which, you know, is a struggle right. for us. Um, had you thought about that or was there a point in Growing the expo, that became critical point for you. Yeah, we, we started gathering a lot of data, and, and I'm, I need to go back to that history because, I, you know, I don't, I didn't think about that. They started doing that during the time of, of, of you know, of us publishing in black, and we had like 25, 30 publishers across the country. You know, yeah. you had somebody in Atlanta, you had somebody in Houston, you had somebody in that. We had a number of publishers across the country at that time. But your point is, that was critical when we started looking at the importance of the buying power. But I didn't know they started that as a result of some of the things that were going on with the Black Pages, maybe some other things as well. And there was a guy in Chicago who was collecting data. His name was, um, he's, he's deceased now, I think it was Ken Smike or something like that. He did some yes. yeah, target yeah. marketing stuff. He kept yes, a lot I of data. Yeah. yeah, we used to have a lot of conversations over the phone. Um, uh, it's a number of people. I just, you know, I, you just jog my memory. I'm thinking about some of the people I used to talk with, uh, like George Sabira, who was a, a publisher. He wrote books about why black folks should sell. That was part of it too. I used to read his books. And I'm like, these books are great. And yeah. so, yeah. So all that George stuff. George Frazier's of the world. George Frazier. You know, yeah, I met George. He's been he smoked at my expos a couple of times, and I met him prior to that. Um, you know, to, I mean, I just think about all those folk that we've come across uh, throughout this process of the Black Pages and growing the business and expansion and nurturing these markets, and it's all coming back now. You know, it, you know, the time, <laughs> the timing is more than perfect. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, we know about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing new. Right. You know, but uh, the Selig Center, as, as you know, still exists. They still publish mm -hmm. uh, information about spending power. Uh, but I think the key thing now is we've got to collectively, you know, it's, it's like we're running two lanes. We've got to have our own ecosystem where we're capturing dollars that we spend and understand how we're spending those dollars so we can capitalize on them and create the kind of economy we, you know, we certainly need and want. And on the other side, we're competing with, you know, other persons who are capitalizing on our money and the way we spend money, but we don't capitalize on the way they buy products as well. And we need to capitalize on some of that money from a global and domestic perspective. So making That's a product. powerful message. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very powerful message. Yeah. I, I think what, what resonates with me and what you just said is um, there's great power in options. And I don't think we grew up in a culture that talks so much about options because, quite frankly, we didn't have them, right? So uh, our parents' generation it was get that good government job and you stay in that job or whatever company for the 20, yeah. 30 years and you retire, you get your check and you move on. But yeah. that two lanes 
is a shift in thinking yeah. uh, for for the the African American community uh, in in particular. So, with that in mind, update us on where you are now and and how you have expanded the business to do consulting because that's a representation of pursuing the options and not staying in just one lane. I, I, I'm at peace. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes, I'm at peace, number one, because I, I can really just focus on something that I like to do, uh, creating relationships, uh, continuing to do a lot of volunteer work with um, impacting you know, African-Americans and black businesses, uh, servicing my clients who need uh, help in identifying partners and relationships. If, if it's, if they need to meet elected officials, if they need to meet people who are running corporations or working in municipalities, I like connecting the dots. And so we, we did that for so many years and I did it for so many, over 30 years of doing that, connecting dots identifying people going into communities that you know nothing about, but you go in there, you land and you meet key people that can help you along the way. And, and, and all that stuff comes back. You just, you know, it's basically what I'm doing with consulting. So uh, disparity studies, uh, I do a lot of anecdotal uh, reporting with Griffin and Strong out of Atlanta, law firm. They do a lot of disparity studies across the uh, country. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got, you know, technology client, pretty large. They're looking to enter the market in North Carolina and any other market that needs uh, certain software platforms, construction companies, small African-American. I just picked up a client the other day who was uh, uh, certainly dealing with uh, what we've been talking about, exclusion in the marketplace as a contractor. And so we're trying to help him with some PR branding kind of things to create the narrative for him and also create the narrative for a lot of companies across the country who are dealing with uh, the kind of exclusionary uh, racist practices by some yes. of these municipalities and some of these companies who just want to ignore, you know, the power of African-Americans. We, we got to get away. That, that doesn't help the economy. It doesn't grow the economy. It creates more issues. It creates poverty, crime. You know, you know the drill. And, and so. Yes, I do. And that's know, why I thought it was a very interesting progression that yeah. you started with the Black Pages, you grew with the Black Expo. And yeah. that exposure allowed you to kind of build your foundation and expertise of the Black experience and building that bridge with municipalities and the work that right. you've been doing really right. to advocate for more minority inclusion yeah. and business opportunities in your in your state and beyond. Right. Well, you know, I, I didn't go to Harvard, so I can't say it as eloquently as some of those guys. They, you know, they got all these letters behind them. I can't do that. <laughs> Listen, what I, I learned in my life, education does not mean smart. I know. I know. Or yeah. ethical. Sometimes I'm shaking my head like, what did he just say? What, what, I, I, listen, this is what I do. I, tell, I can connect the dots. I can create relationships for you. Anything, somebody says, what about program management? I was like, not me. <laughs> I'm not going to even try to fake it. <laughs> no. But to me, there's so much value in that. And that helps you know, small businesses and single shingle right. enterprises. And right. even those who've been in the game for a while because the traditional model tells you you're supposed to walk a certain path to be Absolutely. successful or impactful. And I really think the environment now makes so much more space. Like millennials are turning this game on the head, on its head. Oh, uh, the gig economy, it's amazing. All that education stuff, it has its value for people who need it for them and their trajectory. Yeah. Uh, but you get educated in different ways. So. Yeah, I've got a couple of mentors, and, and, and he said, one of my mentors says, yeah, we've got patient capital. I was like, what in the world is patient capital? <laughs> I had to go to the dictionary and look it up. <laughs> like, patient capital. <laughs> what is that? Now I know what it is. It's just, you know, one of those glorified terms, you know, capital that's 
you know, you can extend it a little longer than other capital, but you know, I, I'm not in that space, but you know, as you right. stated, these young folk, they're smart, you know, they've kept some of the best education. They understand some of the terminology as it relates to technology and investment capital and equity and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just learning this stuff, man. It's, and it's beautiful because now you have options, as you stated. You have options yeah. to raise money and be able to communicate with folk who you're trying to leverage as well. So that's good stuff. Really good it, stuff. It truly is. It's got my grandmother used to say. So I was the first girl in my family to go to go to college. Oh, I had man. a cousin wow. who, um, and you may know this name. He played ball at North Carolina A and T. He was called Bird. His name was James Farrow. I do know that name. That's Absolutely. my cousin. Really? Yes. Wow. I'm trying. You know, I, I remember him because I think he may have been. You know, we went to Africa in 1980 because I was on, you know, Virginia Union, and then it was like several other schools. I think Bell was, uh, Barry was part of that. Uh, was part yes, of he the, was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> small world. Very small world. Very small world. Small world. So he was my inspiration. He was what I knew about college. You know, he went to okay. North Carolina A&T, and I went to visit and. Oh, it was so beautiful to see so many people who look like me oh, yeah. in that environment. And yeah. they were all smiling and happy, you know? So, yeah. right? A big and of, big is, part of Greensboro. Absolutely. Right down the street. <laughs> yes. Yeah, A&T. Yes, what an amazing experience. And yeah. my, what, what I, my grandmother taught me was, even though we got an education, you got to get bot sense. And I was like, Grandma, what do you mean bot sense? She said, B-O-U-G-H-T. You buy yeah. it with time and experience. Exactly. And exactly. to me, that carries you so much further. Because I tell you, I, I, I was one of those people who needed the education because I was still growing in my right. knowledge right. and sense of self. You know, some, right. some, some people right. need that until you find, you know, your comfort zone and you, you, you can mm -hmm. really you know, take flight from that particular place. But when I finally got to that place of understanding, probably in my uh, mid twenties or thirties, cause I, I actually acquired right. a business when I was young as a military wife at the time, mm -hmm. I realized all that stuff I learned in school was in dated textbooks. And so it wasn't applicable in the business world. You had to learn everything you learned in college. It was foundational, but by the time you hit the, <laughs> you know, the job right. market, Right. There was a yeah. big learning gap there. Major, major learning curve. I think the, the yeah. HBCUs, particularly at Virginia Union, we had people there. You know, you had some professors that would really have sort of an intimate conversation with you about life after college and what. Yes, you thank you for that. Oh my God! Absolutely. So very helpful. Um, all these were, were pillars for you. So here you are now. Yeah. Um, you said you're at peace and you've done a, an incredible job of building these businesses for our community. Other right. than the business part of what you've done, what else do you feel that you have contribute, contributed to the, the community? What else do you feel like you brought to the universe? How do you want people to, how would you describe your legacy, should I say? I'm glad you're asking me that, not some people. <laughs> you are so marvelous, I tell you. <laughs> oh my God. No, seriously. Uh, you know, I, I'm very active in uh, my fraternity, obviously, with the Omegas. Um, I know you're a Delta, so I, I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> Kindred spirits, you know how that yeah, goes. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually and the president of our chapter here in Jamaica. Oh, congratulations. But also we created a, an organization here called the Greensboro Business League. Uh, I co-chair that organization with Earl Jones, who's the uh, co-founder of the International Civil Rights Museum here. And uh, so we have been able to pull people together over the last two years really bring uh, 
you know, the conversation around exclusion of you know black-owned businesses as it relates to public public spending. And so we're paying tax dollars into a system. And when you look at the contracts that are being awarded, you know, we're getting less than three and four percent of all contracts, which is totally unacceptable. And right. you know, people are supposed to be okay with that. And that's statewide, that's nationwide, quite frankly. So we're dealing with those kinds of issues, obviously involved with the NAACP, uh, you know, dealing with things there as you, we always deal with issues as it relates to uh, black people and, and, and people who are underserved as we call them uh, in some of these rural communities. And I'm, you know, every phase of this stuff though, um, Jewel, I'm involved with economic development. I always try to figure that out. I'm on the economic development committee for the Vegas. I'm, the NAACP, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, I think that's, I guess that'll be part of my legacy in terms of, um, you know, working with people, trying to find solutions and ways to improve our quality of life. Uh, I was like, somebody told me once, he said, man, he said, uh, I can't get to Bob Johnson, but I can definitely get to you. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Thank you. I just need Bob's money. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's a valuable point. Yeah. And I love that you share that because it connects right back to what you said earlier is what's in it for, for me? And right. very often entrepreneurs are afraid to ask that question because they feel like they don't have enough experience or they haven't been in the game long enough. But the point is you're offering a product or a service. And yes. if you're doing that and you're doing it with quality, then people should be able to share with you what their what the value proposition is is for you. So the right. economics of it all is what we don't talk about enough. You know, you know, the, 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 the other interesting thing is when people when I talk to people, they're always talking about the whole gender thing with, with women and business. And I'm like, over 50% of my clients are women, they're running their companies. There's no issue right. there. I mean, what's the real deal here? I mean, I, you know, to my pay, yeah. they run their own businesses. They don't have to worry about that. You know, they're president CEOs. It, yeah, yeah. So you, you're well. right. I remember. Uh, I remember when I started in business. Here's the interesting yeah. thing. Uh, over twenty something years, when people ask me who who are my mentors or who were my mentors, they were all men. Yeah. Or should I yeah. say most of them were men. And I'm thankful for that experience because they toughened me up. And oh, yeah. I also had half of them who were Omega. You know, they were cues when we started. Absolutely. They were Omegas <laughs> when we were done. We <laughs> got a little bit more seasoned. And and what in my mind that created I, I was always about balance because I knew right. what I offered as a woman and I and I right. knew where I wasn't as strong. And my sisters were there for the comfort and the support and that exactly. you can do it, girl. But the men and the brothers were like, listen, I know you tired, you ain't feeling well, but you made yeah. a commitment. You better get out there bed and go do what you got to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They gave the push and made me understand why it was so important to not just show up, but to show up well. Well, that's, that's, that's a critical piece uh, to the bond that we share, but also that's going to be a critical piece for the future of, of African Americans and, and young folk who are going to be the next or are the next leaders and producers of you know companies and the economy. And so, you know, I'm always telling the general population, you need to look at this racism thing with a close set of eyes because this is going to affect you 15, 20 years down the road. And as you can see, the infrastructure is, 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 is crumbling. Uh, people are beginning to say, Why, what's going on here? And so we're going to have to make some, uh, some serious pivots in the way as a people, as we do business with each other. And if we don't do that real quickly, it's going to be some sad folk. It won't be a depression. Yeah. It'll be worse than that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's exactly what I talk about in my book is, and yeah. crisis is not new. 
This yeah. is a different type of crisis, but exactly. when crises come, you have to learn to adjust your perspective. You know, you have to pivot, you know, and in three sides of every crisis, I keep trying to drive home the point that innovation dials up in a crisis because Absolutely. one out of need, you know, you don't have a choice, but this is the time to find your sweet spot and make that thing sing. Absolutely. <laughs> I like that part. I like that. I like that. I love it. Tell me the one thing that you want to leave with as a thought for solopreneurs. What's the one thing you want to leave with them? That's a good, very good question. There's so many thoughts that I have. You know, I think the key thing is you have to find uh, really what you're passionate about and what brings you to a, a level of, of peace and enclosure somewhere because sometimes you can chase these dreams forever and you can you know sort of accumulate all these things whether it's cars how whatever it is you want and at the end of the day you just want a peace of mind and 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 you you want a peace of mind you want to be the enjoy the time that you spend on this earth you know as, as a person and get to just enjoy it. And I think sometimes we forget that part. We're so busy trying to, you know, beat the clock. The clock ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Ooh, it is. Say that again. Yes. The clock ain't going nowhere. Stop trying yes. to beat that clock. Take time out and enjoy things for yourself. Enjoy life and be at peace. And I think you'll, you'll be a better person, quite frankly. It's been another great time spent with you. Thanks for joining this episode of the Solopreneur Journey with expat entrepreneur Jewel Daniels, where we love being your ear candy. Let us hear from you by dropping a note at www.thesolopreneurjourney.net. Remember, you may be working on your single shingle enterprise, but you're not alone. See you next time when we push boundaries to build beyond just business.